God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Thank you, Jesus. We could just praise him all morning long. Hallelujah. When I first began preaching, I was actually quite stage fright. I was very young. I was a child, and I was very stage fright. And I just had a hard time getting it out. But I learned to praise him while I preached. And I wasn't stage fright to praise him. And when I started praising him while I preached, there was a liberty that came. So if you'll pardon me, I'm just going to keep on praising him. I'm going to take a text, give a title, and then I'm going to praise him. Because he's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And we are so thankful to have all of our guests here. Let's give all of our guests a great big hand of appreciation for coming to be with us this morning. We truly love each and every one of you and are so thankful that you are here today. And we believe that the Lord has something special for you this morning. And so we are looking into the word of the Lord to hear from God. And I would like to turn your attention into the New Testament. Uh, please turn with me, if you will, to the book of Galatians. We're going to read a few verses of scripture from the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians. And these, these verses that we're going to be reading, I just feel in my spirit that the Lord has something for us to receive from his word. And haven't these musicians and singers and worship leaders done such a marvelous job this morning thank you lord thank you lord thank you lord for the sweet psalmists and singers that that just fill this place with praise and for the congregation hallelujah who worships god i thought that as we were saying great are you lord i just i could just feel him hearing us i could feel him hearing us declare his greatness Galatians chapter 4, and I would like to begin reading at the 22nd verse. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. And, and I want you to notice this next verse. The, the first line just jumps out at me. It, it, it says, which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. 
Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. This is a very powerful passage. And, and there are so many things that one could preach. And I, I would like to take careful note of that 24th verse. When he describes these things are an allegory. And I, I want to preach to you on the subject, the allegory. The allegory. Lord, we love you today. We feel your presence. We're grateful to you for your mighty power. Lord, you have drawn us by the magnetism of your grace. We have heeded your call. I pray, Lord, that as we come to this table for feasting, that you will feed your people. Every hungry soul, every thirsty heart, feed us, Lord, with the food from heaven that truly satisfies, that genuinely fills. And we give you praise for it today in the precious name of Jesus. I ask, Lord, for an anointing of your spirit to declare your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. If I may, I would like to read to you a verse of scripture that uh, truly scared me when I considered it. I was a little surprised to find it in the Bible. But it's here and we need to understand it. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. The writer said, I returned and saw under the sun, key understanding, under the sun. He is describing things that take place in a fallen earth. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time, and this is the part that got me, time and chance happeneth to them all. I looked under the sun and I saw the happenings that occurred in this earth. And I realize that there are times where the strongest does not win the battle. There are times where the fastest does not win the race. Sometimes people can be so wise and they still don't have bread. People of understanding and people of skill still do not thrive on this earth. I saw this under the sun and I realized that each of them, regardless of their strength, their skill, their understanding, their wisdom, or their swiftness, are subject to two things called time and chance. It's a little unnerving. You can do what you want to do and try what you want to try, and 
become as skilled as you can be, but you are still on this earth subject to two mysterious forces. One called time, which includes timing, and chance, which is so vague and intangible. And we understand that time is a creation. God created time. Time is peculiar to earth. It does not exist in heaven. But when you speak of eternity, you're speaking of a place without the constraints and the inhibitions of time. But on this earth, in this fallen place where we live, where we age and where we die, time and chance happeneth to them all. It stirred me because I began to think, well, time and chance have this impact upon life and upon living. What way is there around it? Then I began to understand as you read the word of the Lord that this dynamic that I'm describing is only corrected the way anything else is corrected on this fallen earth. And that is through the power of Of the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the redeeming. Hallelujah. Of creation. Even the Bible speaks of redeeming the time. There is redemption needed for everything about this world. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And so there is this reality that. Those who live on this planet, walk on this planet, are subject to the whims of time and chance. But there is an escape from that. There is a way out of that. If you don't want your life to be subject to the whims of happenstance, for your life to be so captivated by accidental happenings, There is a way out of that. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Doesn't matter what timing has set against you or what chance may befall you when you trust in the Lord with all of your heart lean not to your own understanding but in all of your ways acknowledge him he shall direct your paths and chance doesn't have power over you the way it would have power over someone who refuses to trust in the Lord the apostle Paul said it this way he said we know that all things Work together for the good. To them that love God. Oh, hallelujah. And are the called according to his purpose. We know. This is something that we know. I don't know what you're feeling this morning, but we know that if you love God and are called according to his purpose... All things work together for the good. Doesn't matter what the doctor said. Don't be discouraged because we know. 
that all things work together for the good. Doesn't matter what the lawyer said, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what you're going through this morning or what the uncertainty of tomorrow may seem like, but we know. One thing we do know. We may not know how this is going to turn out, but one thing that we do know is that all things are working together complimenting one another setting a stage and thus we are delivered from the power of time and chance now if I choose to trust in my own power then I go back under the influence of time and chance if I choose to trust in the power of any other entity outside of God then I come back under the influence of time and chance But when I trust in the Lord, he directs my paths. And time and chance have to pass over me the way the death angel passed over Israel in the land of Egypt. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you something. There have been a lot of accidents waiting for us. But, but, But we can understand that any accident, that accident that may befall us works together for the good. We can understand that there's nothing in our lives that can come against us or overtake us that will somehow lead us astray because we understand that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The Lord orders our steps. So the Bible describes in Galatians chapter 4 a unique word. A word that doesn't really show up very often in the scriptures. The word is allegory. And this word allegory, of course, is a word that is familiar to those perhaps who enjoy reading. Who have enjoyed reading a variety of different topics. You understand that allegories are stories, poems, that have a great deal of symbolism, have a lesson to be taught. Many times there's a moral lesson in the allegory. Many times there is a political lesson in the allegory. Some of the world's greatest authors have influenced whole nations through allegories. Sometimes they have influenced whole generations through allegories. Allegories that, that create this world that is similar to ours. That brings to life, if you please, characters that they have developed in their own mind. And they have created these various characters and set them on a path to, to a semblance of reality. Whether it be Dr. Seuss talking about green eggs and ham. The green eggs and ham represent something to Dr. Seuss. And he puts his craft out onto the world stage and it speaks to people. And they can relate with with his idea that he is describing. One of his very famous, of course, was the Grinch who stole Christmas which I don't know why we call him the Grinch, because the man changed, folks. Can we give him a break for crying out loud? 
We're so judgmental. A man changed. It's not a Grinch anymore. We still use it to, to describe people who don't want any others to have any joy, especially around Christmas time. Of course, Mark Twain was a great allegorist. In fact, his adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, as you look back over them and, and consider them and think of them, he described the Mississippi River and used the Mississippi River, something that everybody certainly in the 19th century America could, could relate to. And he, he really used the Mississippi River and gave it, almost made it a character itself in his stories. And that Mississippi River really symbolized freedom. And as long as they stayed on the river, everything was fine. Oh, I wish I could preach a little bit on the Mississippi River of faith. You could name it whatever you want to name it. It's an allegory. It works. It, 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 it symbolized something. It, it, it told a story and it carried a truth that is so important to understand. And so as long as they stayed on the the river, the river flowed. You got to stay committed to the current of the river and let it take you where it's going to take you and don't resist it because there's trouble on the shores. Don't, don't, don't lock yourself into the land again. Get back on the river and, and let the river flow. This time of year comes alive with allegories. One of the great authors of modern time was Charles Dickens who wrote about another stingy Christmas character who we're just as judgmental about. He changed too. We still use his name as a way to describe folks who are miserly and miserable and refusing to be giving and generous. And we call folks a Scrooge when, when the end of the story, Scrooge is dampen, dancing, clicking his heels and, and excited to, to see folks and give folks turkeys and and bless folks, and, but we still call him a Scrooge. This Ebenezer Scrooge in the allegory of A Christmas Carol uh, was visited by three ghosts. It's a made-up story. The ghost of Christmas past, a ghost of Christmas present, a ghost of Christmas future. And the ghost of Christmas past was kind of a whispering, faint, fleeting ideal of a ghost. And the Christmas present ghost was a hearty robust, excited, full of life kind of a ghost. And then there was the ghost of Christmas future, which was foreboding, who didn't speak a word, just terrified people when they would read about him. But it was all demonstrating something of a greater truth that Dickens was trying to bring into the public consciousness. Also, a Christmas... Uh, allegory that, that comes to life this time, time of year is, is it, it's a wonderful life. I actually played Jim Stewart one time in a uh, <laughs> school play. And, uh, not to brag or anything, but uh, I actually don't think it was because of my acting skills. I think it was because I was lanky and they said, that's the one. He's the only one who can do it. So we want him. <clears throat> and, uh, but, but this story is amazing. It's about a guy who, who, does not, who, who does not know the value of his life. And he actually spends his life very obscurely, but, but going about doing what is right. Saves his brother's life, saves his 
community. He blesses people over and over, and nobody really knows his name. He had dreams of grandeur, and he wanted to travel the world. He had all of these ideas and all of these ambitions, and none of those came to fruition because he spent his life helping everybody around him, only to come to a season of life where it was so overwhelming, and he felt that he was a failure because he never really measured up to his own expectations. And he came to this conclusion, a very faulty conclusion, that he was, he was really, it would have been better that he never be born. And, and that, of course, is something that people do think when they go through difficult times. What good am I? I, I should have never been born. Of course, as the story unfolds, created by Frank Capra, he realizes through a visitation of another, an angel, uh, he realizes that he had done so much and that he really had given so much and that the world would be a dramatically different place, dramatically different place, if he had not contributed his small part that he thought as small, if he would not have contributed that to the world, then his community would have been beleaguered by those that he had kept at bay. His family would have been drastically altered because he wasn't there to save his brother. On and on the story goes, he realizes by the end of this allegory, if you please, this, this principle that was taught to him, he realized by the end that it was very important that he be a member, a contributing member of society. That his lone contributions made dramatic impact. What a way to teach a very valuable lesson through allegory. Some of the most powerful allegories, however, come from true life accounts. Not fanciful fairy tales, well-constructed and construed ideals from imaginative minds who are capable of taking from nothing and creating a character that never did exist, having little bits and pieces of reality dropped in here a little, there a little. But some of the most powerful allegories come from actual lives that were lived. One of the great allegories that I personally appreciated was the example that Jacques Turgot, who is the famous French economist, he, he, he made a correlation by observing the life of Benjamin Franklin, a contemporary of his. He observed this, this, this very amazing work that Benjamin Franklin had done, two very important things. One, his harnessing of electricity. And two, his, his helping to birth freedom in the United States. And he described it this way. He said that, Benjamin Franklin snatched lightning from the skies and the scepter from tyrants. He saw the connection. The same drive that led Benjamin Franklin to say that lightning can come down into this earth and be a help to us. And set the stage for so many more discoveries of electrical usage was the same driving force that said freedom, that freedom is something we should harness and have and hold on to and cherish. 
So Jacques Turgot recognized the correlation. It's the same. It's an allegory. The lightning was an allegory for freedom. So he took a true life account. The Bible is filled with true life stories that are replete with allegorical power. These, the Bible says, were made in samples for us. Examples, true life accounts. Their lives are made in samples for us. So that we can understand how it is that we are supposed to live. Allegories just bring it to life. You can stand up here and talk and talk and drone on and on and not really get the point across. But when an allegory is created, when a life lesson is rendered, when you see it in living color, you begin to really understand the meaning behind a principle. And if you can understand the meaning behind a principle, you have understood something very powerful that will forever change your life. To the church at Galatia, Paul is dealing with a very intense challenge. He is the apostle to the Gentile people. He is Holding in his heart one of the most, or the most, pardon me, the most powerful message that has ever been preached. To the church at Rome, he exclaimed, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first but also to the Greek. Anybody, regardless of where you come from, if you'll believe this gospel, it has power to save your soul. It has power, hallelujah, to change your life. And the Apostle Paul takes this message to people who know nothing about God. They only know things about a pantheon of gods. A number of different gods that they have worshipped over time. Deities that have no power. No eyes to see. No ears to hear. And so he takes this message to Ephesus. He takes this message to Rome. He takes this message to Philippi. He takes this message to Thessalonica. And he takes this message to Galatia. While he's in Galatia. And he's telling the Galatian people that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus Christ came to open up the hearts of men and women everywhere that will receive his word. Jesus Christ shed his precious blood so that you could be free from your sins. The sins that condemn you. The sins that have corrupted your mind. Jesus Christ will deliver you and give you liberty and give you freedom and give you hope for a better tomorrow. While he's preaching this. To the Galatian people, the Bible says Judaizers entered into the mix. These Judaizers, Judaizers began to explain to the Galatian people that what Paul is saying is all good, but you still have to obey the law of Moses. What they did not understand, the Judaizers, was that the law of Moses had been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. 
that the Moses, Mosaic law was a schoolmaster that would bring people to Christ. That it was, a, a, it was a, an allegory, if you please. It was, a, it was a life lesson. It was an object lesson to show people what Jesus would look like. But that, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And the Galatian people began to believe the words of the Judaizers that they would still need to be under the bondage of Moses' law. So while they're believing this, Paul is writing a letter furiously trying to help them understand and not be confused. And he begins to tell them, no, 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 no. He said, if we preach circumcision, which was what the key element of the Judaizers' message was, then the offense of the cross is ceased. He said, if I preach circumcision, then I am not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have not come to preach to you an outward circumcision. I've come to preach to you a circumcision of the heart. I've come to tell you what this allegory represented. And so when he was telling this to them, and he spoke with powerful words. At one point he said, who hath bewitched you that you should believe this? At one point he said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Finally, in the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul said, now listen, I want to tell you an Old Testament account about the man Abraham who had been given a promise by God. This promise was that he would have a son through Sarah. That son's name would be Isaac. But because it took a while for the promise to come into fruition, Abraham began to disbelieve. And he began to think according to his flesh's thoughts. He began to think, maybe I should take matters into my own hands. And he decided, and Sarah decided, that they would arranged for him to have a son with Hagar. But this was not God's plan. This was not God's will. God's will was for him to have this promised son through Sarah named Isaac, born after the Spirit, born after promise, a child of free Sarah. But he instead, through the flesh, through disbelief, had a son with Hagar after the flesh. After the flesh's motivations. After the flesh's manipulations. And this son's name was Ishmael. Eventually, at some point, Paul said, Abraham had to make a choice. Am I going to be devoted to my wife Sarah and our son Isaac? Or am I going to be devoted to Hagar, the bondwoman, and our son Ishmael? It was a difficult choice for Abraham to make. But Abraham came to an understanding. That his life was not his own. He wasn't just making decisions for himself. He was making decisions in real life that would later serve as an allegory for others. And so he cast out the bondwoman and her son. The story is amazing. I wish I had time to preach it. Because even though Abraham had to cast them out, the Lord watched over them came to their aid, came to Hagar and to Ishmael and said, I will keep you and I will protect you. And God did just that. But Abraham had a responsibility to Sarah and to his son Isaac. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to preach to you that it wasn't easy for Abraham. It's not easy living real life. It's difficult when you face some of the most difficult decisions in life. Sometimes you're faced with an overwhelming set of circumstances. 
and you're trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. Let me tell you today, you can't go wrong trusting in the Lord. You can't go wrong leaning on his word. You can't go wrong saying, what does the word say? What does the word say? I need a word from the Lord. I don't need to hear what Dr. Oz says. I need to hear what does Jesus say. I'm not, I'm not picking on experts in their field, but I'm going to tell you something. The wisdom you need is not the wisdom of this world. It's earthly, devilish, and sensual. But the wisdom that is from above is peaceable, pure, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, without partiality, without hypocrisy. You need that heavenly wisdom. Hallelujah. Because the life that you're living, it's real life. It's real life. It doesn't have the background of the musical backdrop that you might enjoy in your favorite story. It doesn't have all the fanciful adjectives accompanying every description that you may enjoy in your favorite novel. But your life is real life, and yet it is a story that will be told. Moses said of the Lord... And of people who've been created by the Lord. He said we live our years as a tale that is told. You don't see it right now. Because you're getting up every morning. And you're going through your routine. And you're trying to get through your day. And hopefully you're praying. And hopefully you're reading your Bible. And hopefully you're loving your neighbor. And hopefully you're worshiping God. And hopefully you're going to church on Sunday. Amen. I'm glad to see you here this morning. You made the right choice. Ladies and gentlemen, it's real life. It's day in. It's day out. It's morning to night. But you don't realize that it's a tale being told. It's a story being recorded. It's an allegory for somebody down the road. Somebody down the road is going to look back over your life and see what you did when you faced adversity. Somebody in your world, should the Lord tarry, it'll be your grandchildren. Should the Lord tarry, It'll be your children's grandchildren. But somewhere down the road, somebody's going to look down over your life and say, you know what? They prayed when they needed God. They worshiped when they needed to fight depression. They lifted their hands and magnified his name. When everything said quit, they wouldn't quit. When everything said turn around, they wouldn't turn around. When everything said throw in the towel, they kept marching forward. No, it's, it's, I know it's real life, Abraham. I know it's real life, and I know it hurts, and I know it's a hard time, and I know you're up against the wall, and I know you're between a rock and a hard place, but your life is also an allegory. It's also a tale being told. It's a story being recorded. Somebody will read your story. That's what we look at when we look at the word of the Lord. It's hard to imagine sometimes the characters of these pages being real people with real challenges. But they were real people with real challenges. But the challenges they faced, they recognized, thank God they recognized, thank God they recognized that this is a story I have devoted to God. I am not the author of my story. God. 
God is the author of my story. That's what the Bible means when it says, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. The steps of a good man ordered of the Lord. We know that all things work together for the good. This is a story being written, but it's not subject to time and chance because I'm trusting in the Lord and he is the author of my life. He is the director of my steps. He shall direct your paths. You know what that makes the Lord? The director. Who's in the director's chair? Who's in the director's chair? Listen, there are two authors who want to author your life. Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith and the author of confusion. And lest you misunderstand, God is not the author of confusion. Come on, you got to give up the pen. You got to give over the computer. You got to give up the script and say, God, I've made a mess of this thing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where to go next. I need you to take control of my life story. Hallelujah. One scripture after another concerning the leadership of God in our lives. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Hallelujah. You know, before I came to God, I was trying to figure it out on my own. I was trying to make room for myself, make a way for myself, climb up the ladder, kick somebody off. Hope nobody saw, but who cares? Keep on moving. But when God gets control of your life, he'll take you where you need to go. He'll lead you where you need to be led. Hallelujah. And sometimes you won't like where he's taking you, but trust him. Trust him. He's got a story. He's got an allegory. This is going to work out. This is how the story goes. Don't give up and don't give in. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. I know the end of this story. I don't know how I'm going to get there. But I know the end of this story. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. I don't know how I'm going to get there. But I know how this thing ends up. So you can follow this world if you want to. But I have decided to follow Jesus. Take this whole world. But give me Jesus. I said take this whole world. But give me Jesus. I don't want the uncertainty anymore. I don't want the confusion anymore. I don't want the fear anymore. I I need an author who knows where I'm going. I'm tired of being subject to time and chance. I'm tired of being worried how this is going to end up. I'm tired of worrying of maybe something so bad would happen I could never recover from it. But with, with God as my author, no weapon formed against me can prosper. 
Let me tell you something, folks. I, I, I want to talk enough about heaven that by the time I go there, everybody that heard me believes in it. I want my girls to know about heaven because, you know, we don't know when we're going to go from this earth. The author does. If the Lord is your author, then he's got it all planned out. And it doesn't matter. Don't be afraid to fly if he's your author. Because if you're going to go, you're going to go sitting in your recliner or sitting in coach. When he's your author, he knows the steps that you take. He knows where you are. When you're trusting in the Lord, he shall direct your paths. Hallelujah. Commit your way unto the Lord and he shall bring it to pass. He will lead you in the proper paths. I don't want everybody, I don't want everybody being so sad. If I were to die, you know, I worry about my, my wife and my children. That's the thing that concerns me. But I've learned it's God who's taking care of them anyway. So I can trust him and know that regardless of what happens. Now, see, if something were to happen to me, I want people to be sad because they're going to miss me. Don't forget, you need to be sad. People talking about, don't weep for me when I'm gone. You better. I want everybody to have a box of Kleenex. We'll have me all laid out and, and everybody come to give them a program and a box of Kleenex. We're going to do some mourning and weeping. And... But don't weep for me because I'm all right. I'm going to be just fine. My author has a place prepared for me. My author has everything under control. Nothing has caught him by surprise. He led me through valley low, led me, led me through mountain high. He brought me to where I am today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. And if I've got some pride in me that will keep me out of heaven, he knows how to take that out of me. He'll lead me through something. He won't just throw me into something. He will lead me through. Come on, Joel. We have to go through this because where I'm taking you, that attitude can't go. Come on, Joel. We got to go through this because where I'm taking you, that bitterness can't go. That rebellion can't go. That ungodly thinking can't go. But I'm going to lead you I'm going to lead you hallelujah so I'm glad y'all just understand I'm glad for Daniel's lion's den when it was real life he was cast into that lion's den but he wasn't in there by himself it might have been real life, but it was also an allegory. Because those lions represent the stuff you're facing today. And the way Daniel came through, that's how you're going to come through. When they say don't pray, you know what that means. Pray. When they say don't worship, well, that's my cue to worship. When they say don't believe, ha, that's my cue. Believe on the Lord. Confess with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. Come on, Daniel. This isn't the time to backslide. This isn't the time to say, you know what, that prayer stuff wasn't for me anyway. So you just keep that, and I'll keep on climbing up the political ladder of Persia or Babylon. No, no. This is the time to trust in the Lord. This is the time to hold to his word. 
Because there's going to come a day in the lives of some folks in Cincinnati who are in some kind of a proverbial den of lions. Everybody they look at wants to devour them. Daniel, I know this is your life, but it's also an allegory. Jonah, I know that whale, you didn't think things could get worse? And they got worse? You you know, it doesn't get much worse than a, a, a storm on the sea, let alone being thrown overboard. I remember being on a cruise one time, and the storm was so bad, I thought we were a toy ship in a bathtub. And then I started remembering what they did to the preacher on Jonah's boat. And I thought, don't tell anybody I'm a preacher. Nobody. It doesn't get much worse than getting thrown or going through a storm, let alone getting thrown overboard. And when you hit the water, you're, the thing you're worried about is some kind of a, you know, a little shark bite. But you don't expect a whale to swallow you whole. And Jonah's in the belly of a whale, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus called it a whale. He's in the belly of a whale. The Bible says that the Lord prepared the whale. See, Jonah put his trust in the Lord. And while he did go through this season of disobedience, the Lord wasn't finished with him. Because Jonah had trusted him in his life. And the Lord prepared, the Lord prepared the well. So what it seemed like to Jonah, because he was, he said, I'm, I'm in the belly. He didn't think he was in the belly of a whale. He thought he was in the belly of hell. He said, I'm at the, the bars of death have come past me. I don't know what's going to happen, but God, if you can hear my cry, I'll go where you wanted me to go, and I'll say what you want me to say. Jonah, we need you to pray like that. We need you to believe like that, because we've all been somewhere where we decided not to believe on the Lord's word for a little while, and we went our own direction, only to get thrown overboard, go into a storm we were never supposed to see, get Swallowed by some circumstances. And Jonah's life story taught me that God will hear my cry from the depths of the earth and the depths of the sea. God will hear my cry. So Jonah, I know you're just trying to get out alive. But I need you to, I need you to repent, man. Because you're going to teach me hundreds of years later. How to overcome my mistakes. Three Hebrew children, thank you for not bowing. That fiery furnace may have been hot, but it was also an allegory. Thank you, Elijah, for not staying in your cave. Because that cave was an allegory for me. It's, I, you know how many times I want to retreat into my cave? You know how many times I want to go get into my cave? But I can hear the prophet Elijah step to the edge of the cave to hear the voice of the Lord. A still, small voice. I can't tell you how many times God pulled me up out of the cave of self-pity. Out of the cave of uncertainty. Out of the cave of bitterness and resentment. And spoke to me still. Spoke to me small. Said you've got work to do. You've got fire to call down. You've got some people to witness to. You've got a family. Hallelujah to lead. Come up out of your cave. Elijah, I know it's real feelings you're feeling right now. 
but don't miss the allegory of your circumstances. So many people will miss the mark because they miss the point. David, thank you for teaching us that no matter how big the giant, somebody has to fight it. Thank you. And thank you for showing me, David, I don't need Saul's armor to do it. And thank you for describing the weapons of the giant, David, because it was like a weaver's beam, a spear and a sword. You come against me with your spear and your sword, but I come against you. David, thank you for taking the time to endure the allegory of your life. Thank you for taking the time to face down giants and face down lions and face down bears because I have faced lions and bears and giants and, and I needed somebody to show me that God is in control. Church of Galatia, I know that you like the story of Abraham, but you got to understand it was more than just it was more than just Abraham's experiences. It was an allegory for us today. I've told you before about my great grandfather, who was a preacher. Urshans at one time we had lived thirty-three living preachers in the family. They were all preachers. Great grandpa Urshan was a preacher. He preached in Persia, Russia. New York, Chicago, Los Angeles were his main focus. He had four children and a terrible tragedy occurred in his life. One of his children were, were terminally ill and passed away as a young adult. But he was left by himself, by his wife, to raise these children. It was a devastating experience for the whole family. And he woke up during that trial, that deep crisis, he woke up and he began to, as he would every morning, you know, he wouldn't eat breakfast with people because he said, the first three hours of every morning is my time with God. And he couldn't play the piano, but he'd tink around on that piano and sing. One day he started to sing a song of the Lord for him. And he just simply said, there is sunshine in the shadows. Sunshine in the rain. Sunshine in our sorrows when our hearts are filled with pain. Sunshine when we're hurting. Sunshine when we pray. Sunshine, heavenly sunshine. Blessed sunshine all the way. You know, I'm grateful for a great grandfather who didn't crumble up, curl up, and die in the shadows. Because when the shadows fall across my path, I have an allegory that teaches me there's sunshine in the shadows. My father went through a deep and terrible crisis. He and my mother looked like their life was ending. He was so desperate for a word from the Lord, and he, he, he prayed feverishly to the Lord for an answer, for some kind of a confirmation. He describes walking out of his door 
And I have always thanked my parents for their strength because I watched their strength during crisis. And it strengthens me even today. But he walked out the front door of their house and when he opened the door, a ray of sun just, just made its way to him. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I have you in the palm of my hand and everything is going to be all right. And I will bless your children. And from that moment on, my dad's whole life became about blessing his children, ministering to his children. I'm thankful because I have an allegory of sunshine, rays of light that come through dark, difficult moments. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know the test and the trial that you've encountered, that you're experiencing, that God is going to bring you through if you trust in Him. God is going to bring you through if you will trust in Him. And when it's said and done, there'll be a story, a story fixed in your family of someone who made it through, someone who didn't die in the dilemma, somebody who didn't stop serving the Lord, somebody who didn't turn to their own arm for salvation, somebody who didn't believe in any other power but the power of God. Oh, somebody praise him today. Somebody praise him today. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Praise him today. Praise him today. Praise him today. Praise him today. Lift him up today. That crisis that you're facing, it's an allegory. It's a story to be told. Let the story be told according to the will of God. Let it be a story of victory. Let it be a story of power. Let it be a story of deliverance. Let it be a story of healing and encouragement. A story of grace. Grace under pressure. Let it be a story of grace under pressure. Let it be a story of faith in the midst of trial. So I know, I know, I know, I know what the inevitable feeling is at the moment. Pastor Joel, what if I'm 10 chapters, 12 chapters, 20 chapters into my story? What if I've written every page? What if I've made a mess of so many things? Story's not over. It's not over. He's the finisher. He's not just the alpha. He's the omega. He's not just the beginning. He's the ending. He's not just the first. He's the last. Give him the pen. Come on, turn the script over to him. Give him direction over your life. Give him leadership. Ha! I need a witness from somebody in the house of God this morning who can say in this place, God brought me out. God delivered me from what I had done. God took control and he turned it all around. God lifted me out of the pit of despair. God did it. God did it. God did it. Oh, let's stand to our feet this morning and lift his holy name. Come on, let's lift his holy name. Stand to your feet and lift his holy name. Hallelujah. 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 
Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Come on, that's it. That's it. You didn't just come through this to learn it. You came through this to teach it. When you learn how to praise him in the middle of crisis, you need to teach how to praise him in the middle of crisis. I've learned, hallelujah, that God is good, so I'm going to teach. God has been good. I've learned that praise will take you through, so I'm going to teach. Praise will take you through. Hallelujah. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I'm come to tell you, I have learned from life experience, and I have learned from the allegories God has allowed to be placed in my life, true life allegories, not myths, not fables, not fairy tales, true to life allegories ranging from these holy scriptures to the very life experiences of my dear family and friends that if you'll praise him you'll get through it if you'll praise him you'll get through it I love you Jesus I praise you Jesus you are worthy Lord Jesus you are worthy and I worship you come on that's it he's going to ride in upon the wings of the wind right now pick you up I love you, Jesus. Come on, teach your family through allegory. Teach them through life experience. This is how you overcome. This is how you get through it. Yes, you're going to get through it. I love you, Jesus. You are the author and the finisher of my faith. You are the leader of my life. I worship you and I give you praise. Hallelujah. (laughs) Yes, Lord. I can try. Come on, lift up that praise unto the Lord right now. All across this building, lift up that praise unto the Lord. My God, my provider. I can trust in you. I yes. can trust in you. My hope and my friend. You give me peace. You give me joy. Hallelujah. I can trust in you.
to turn.